Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, guys. Welcome back. EYL Atlanta edition. Very, very special very special for us yeah. um, for a couple of different <laughs> reasons we're gonna get into it but before we start we got some exciting news um you know we've been traveling around the country we do our network meet and greets just going to our biggest markets and uh, we went we started in la mm-hmm. and we went that was crazy la was the first one then we went to brooklyn brooklyn crazy. was crazy there was so many people it was actually just spilled down into the streets they're still crazy. talking about it yeah shout <laughs> out to bk um for sure that's a fact and then we went to atlanta we was in atlanta we had 450 people come out and then um houston was the biggest one so far so Chicago, by the time you hear this, it's going to be two days. Uh, yeah, two days. To, uh, September 26th, we're yep. coming to Chicago. So it's free network meet and greet. The purpose of the network meet and greet is not a seminar. It's not a workshop. It is for you to network with each other. Most importantly, you're going to meet us. You're going to bring some of our guests. Um, but you never know who might be a business partner, who might be you know, somebody that you can do real estate with. And these are the things that we need to do more of as far as networking and, and, and really building. So we mix it with, 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 a, with a whole different type of vibe because, you know, we're not a traditional business podcast. No. So <laughs> it's like a party, yeah. but productive tendencies. Yeah, I think so, people, people show up with shirts and ties and they look at us like, yo, y'all in t-shirts? Yeah, we come in oh, yeah, yeah. t-shirts. Kind of and, you know, <laughs> by the end of the night, you're going to have a couple of drinks and you're going to have some good food and it's going to be a whole vibe. So yeah, Chicago, this is my first time going to Chicago, so I'm looking forward to it. So make sure y'all check us out, man, for sure, for sure. And then um, we have our workshop that we are launching as well. So. Um, as you know, EYL, every single week we bring a different professional in and they give us free gems and free game and it's, we really appreciate that. So we wanted to build an extended platform off of that. So we launched our workshop series and that's going to be live in New York City once a month. And we also going to live stream it as well for anybody anywhere in the world. So the first one is going to be for first time real estate investors. We're going to go over some hard money loan tactics, things of that nature um, with our guy, MG, the mortgage guy. Um, so yes, yeah. make sure that y'all register for that. That's on the events tab on our website as well. We're looking yeah. forward to that. So people always asking when we coming back to New York. New York, this is for you. Yeah, Every we month never left. That's the we crazy thing. Left. People act like when y'all coming back to New York. We we never left New York. We live in New York, but this is this is for New York for sure. But it's for not just New York. It's for the whole world. Yeah. So make sure y'all check Everybody that out. Everybody So all right, we got that out the way. So. We have to welcome our esteemed guest, Mr. Jay Morrison. Thank hey, you for, for joining us. What's up, bro? Yeah, so I got to get a backstory on this. So, you know, we have, um, we, we try to bring people from all walks of life and all industries. And, you know, the, the, the number one person that everybody has been requesting for months now is Most Jay requested. Morrison. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's sure. a fact, man. Real life. Sure, they like, <laughs> and, and, but they get aggressive. They like, 
if you're really serious, get Jay Moore. Yeah. I'm like, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Like, yeah. we reach out to him. Y'all guys ain't real to you. Yeah, Damn. yeah. So like, it's okay. like, all right, man, y'all can stop asking. We got him. <laughs> so if, if you don't know, um, legendary real estate investor, um, social activist as well. Um, yeah, thank you for all of the work that you do on that end Appreciate for your, your advocacy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just um, really dynamic guy. He, he's wrote books. He's um, he's done lectures. He's a real estate developer. He's actually the CEO of the Tulsa Real Estate Fund, which is the first black real estate crowdfunding equity crowdfunding fund. Is that correct? Yeah, in history. In history. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go over all of that. But it, you know, he has a very extensive, very impressive resume, and um, anybody in the financial literacy circle especially in our community you know that he's been a leader um for years before a lot of us was involved in social media i'm a financial advisor i just got in social media a couple years ago but i saw you before i got involved so yeah. he's definitely been a trailblazer and somebody that we've, we we've all acknowledged as a leader and a trailblazer so first and foremost thank you thank you for rocking with us thank you for joining us yeah. my pleasure thank you for having me yeah no I appreciate doubt, it yeah yeah for sure so we're gonna jump right into it so when i first heard about you it was years ago and you was a, a realtor yeah. Right. And I guess like a celebrity realtor, because I saw you on TV. Um, so, all right. We all know your story about, you know, you was in the streets and you got incarcerated. What made you get into being a realtor, first and foremost? And from there, how did you transition to actually being an investor? Well, actually, I started as an investor first before a realtor. OK. Mm -hmm. okay. Right. So when I left the streets in 2005, uh, I left South 10th and Springfield Ave in North New Jersey. Um, after a 10-year dope boy career. Um, when I left the streets, uh, one of the first things I did is I, when I acquired a single-family home from a, a tax lien and foreclosure situation my mom had, I helped her out of that situation. And we, um, I had built my credit over the years because I learned about building credit and mortgages while I was on parole at 22 years old in Plainfield, New Jersey. And so by the time I was 25 years old and I was ready to retire the dope game and, 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 and do something different and productive with my life, and stop uh, and beat the trap. Um, so I had already purchased a home under my name for my mom because my credit was better than hers. She was facing a foreclosure. And then I went and got my own duplex, my own two family with four acres of land, 100% financing at that time. And so as I purchased that property and I saw the commissions that the realtor made, the realtor made 13,000, he showed me the property twice. Mm. Mm. I'm like, bro, that 13 racks could be mine. I could <laughs> do, do what he did, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I knew at that time I planned on buying more properties. So I'm like, if I'm gonna be on this path as an investor and landlord um, buying more properties, then I need to be in a position to get, my, get that other check too. And so I went and got my real estate license at right. that time. Um, and then as I was going to buy more properties, I also got my mortgage license at that time. So I was a loan officer, I was a realtor, and I was an investor, landlord, and developer um, breaking into the game. That's where I started the brand Mr. Real Estate back then in like 2005, 2006. And so you went from one medium to the next, right? And what, what, what triggered you said to say like, this is the way I'm gonna go, like I'm going to into real estate? I mean, for me, it was a couple things. One, um, you know, when I was in the streets, my, my you know, I started selling drugs at 15 years old. My whole family sold drugs. You know, I mean, my grandfather sold dope, my uncle sold dope, my mom sold dope. Like, mm -hmm. that was just our family trade. And um, that was a norm for me. And, and when I was hustling through my teens and I got locked up at 18 years old in New York on, on Riverside Drive in Harlem, mm -hmm. facing three years of life in prison for a quarter kilo of coke and a loaded handgun. Um, did a one to three in New York, went upstate, cutting down trees for 13 cents a day. Um, came home on work release in Harlem, um, um, a Lincoln work release by Central Park. Went right back to the game like a month later. Like I said, like, I'm giving myself two months off, so I'm coming home, giving myself two months of freedom, and then I'm going right back. Listen, listen, I came home November 3rd of 1999. I got back trapping January 19th of 2000. I remember the date. Wow. <laughs> and got right back at it and tore it up. But then I caught another charge less than a year later, a drug trafficking charge in Maryland and a secret indictment in New Jersey. Um, end up beating part of that charge because the cops illegally searched my vehicle. Still did prison time about 18 months between Maryland and New Jersey. Um, came home from that on intense supervision parole where I had to have this men's group meeting where I learned about mortgages. Okay. Still, after I learned about that, I went back to trapping for a few more years. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Old habits die hard. <laughs> get, get rich or die trying. <laughs> and so through all that, my family would be like, hey, Jay, 
you know, my, you know, my, my daughter was born while I was in prison. My daughter's 20 years old now. She goes to one of the top 20 colleges in the country. She's the first black woman president of her sorority. Like, she's phenomenal. But she was born while I was in prison, and my first time seeing her was on the visiting room floor. Wow. My daughter slept with me in trap houses, like, bagging up, you know, and now she's you know, on to where she's at. But her mother used to say, you know, why can't you stop selling drugs? And they would, literally my family would cry to try to get me to stop. And I said, well, when y'all show me something where I can make the money I'm making now, Right, live the lifestyle that I want to live and feed my family. If y'all show me that hustle, mm -hmm. I'm in. Until then, shut the fuck up. <laughs> right. And so, period. Um, yeah, you know what I'm period. <laughs> like, like, what we, like, don't tell me to stop doing something. You're not giving me another way, another route to do something show, else. Yeah, show me around. Show me an out. I'm not getting a job. Like, that's out. Like, it's not even happening. That's so, you know what I mean? So, anyway, um, real estate, as I saw the checks that were being made. So, when I closed that first two family, I saw the owner of that. He owned it for maybe like seven or eight or nine years, but he made a hundred racks. Mm. I'm like, wait, he just owned this shit for a few years, got some rental income and cashed out a hundred on me? Like <laughs> I bought it from him. The realtor made 13, yeah. he made a hundred, but I'm the one that went here and financed it. And I was like, you know what, this, this is all right. And then when I bought my mom out of that foreclosure, I helped my mom buy this house, FHA financing in 99 when I came home. I gave my mom three grand. She bought a house in Somerville, New Jersey for $100,000. Um, three years later, that house would have been valued $100,000. So when I cleared out, cleared out her foreclosure she was in, we ended up selling it and cashing out like ninety nine. My mm -hmm. mom gave me 33000 just for helping her with a ten grand tax lien she had. And so I took the 33000 and went and bought you know, a bird with it and <laughs> went back in the streets. But my point is, I saw that real estate was lucrative, right? So to answer your question in this long roundabout way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was um, it. <laughs> what, what got me into it was like, okay, this real estate thing has some viability here. It showed to, you an out. To, to be my new hustle. Mm -hmm. And as I was approaching 25 years old and I'm trapping in Newark and I had another close call with the feds and some other shit and all of a sudden, I'm like, yo, this is like, when I'm 30, I couldn't see myself being free or alive at 30. Like I literally tried to picture myself approaching 25 years old where I was going to be when I was 30 on all I could imagine was dead or in jail. I couldn't even see myself balling or new. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I didn't even see a victory for myself. Damn. So I was like, if I can't picture myself winning, I can't continue this, this hustle. Mm. And so I literally broke my trap phone. I quit like that, that day. I thought about the shit. Shit didn't make sense no more. Yeah. And I literally had cold turkey. I had work left and everything. I gave it to my man. Like, yo, I'm out. You start, like, I mean, you have the date in your head, so it's like that that meant something. Like, man. like yeah, like I'm out. And so I was like, you know what? Because I challenged myself. I said, you know, a drug dealer can only sell drugs. A true hustler can hustle anything. Hmm. And I'm like, yo, am I a drug dealer or am I really a hustler? And I was like, so what would happen if I took all, I, I, bro, I grind, I get busy. Like my energy level is always high. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, what would happen if I took the same energy, 24-hour shifts on the block, the same energy taking trips, you know, all that, trips to Nebraska, Maryland. I'm talking about, I'm, I'm, bro, I'm, tearing the highways up, streets up, planes up, trains up, all that. So I said, what if I took the same innovation, same energy? I'm, I'm breaking down work. I don't make impressive machines at welding shops, all type of shit, bro. Like, I'm nuts. And so I was like, if I take this same innovation and energy, the same charisma and swag, and I put it into the real estate industry, what would happen? Full time, like my full effort, the full court press. And so I said, well, if I'm truly a hustler, let me go see. And that's when I, you know, cold turkey, dropped the drug game, got into the real estate game, started as that landlord, got my real estate license, my mortgage license, ended up making my first million in three years in real estate. But so how did you scale? Okay, so everybody's in real estate, right? And there's a lot of real estate agents and realtors yeah. and mortgage brokers. So, all right, you're coming off the streets with no formal education. None. You graduated from high school? Uh, I did. I dropped out of high school, 11th grade, and then I went back to the TOPS program for alternative kids, okay. and I graduated from a, from a vocational school. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So you have that, but, you know, really no other formal education. So mm -hmm. how do you go from being an ex-drug dealer to being a celebrity realtor? Like, you know, I'm assuming you was like in the top 10%, 5%, whatever realtors to, you know, whatever. How did you, how does that happen? Like, I actually brought my office's highest listing in. Uh, in Fort Lee office, $10 million listing from Alpine. It was the highest office listing in my office. I was the first African man in America hired by Prominent Properties, Sotheby's International Realty in uh, Prominent Properties. But so how did that happen? For, for, for your realtors that are still realtors themselves, like how mm -hmm. are they trying to like break through the, because it's, it's a lot of them. So like how it, did that it's happen? This, it's the same intangible skills, bro. It don't matter if it's realtors, selling shirts, selling hot dogs, selling drugs. It's the same thing is that I went and found the connect. Like I'm intentional. So when I was a real estate agent, and I started off with Keller Williams and being a regular residential agent. And, you know, I went through that phase for a few years. Um, then, um, you know, I started actually managing two mortgage companies as I worked my way up from a loan officer. I just engulfed the business. But as I 
got kind of tired of bored and it's another long story within that which, I, which I'll save us but when I got to the point where I was like you know what this ain't really sexy this ain't really my swag just to be a real estate agent like that's just not like that shit ain't really cool to me so I was okay. like <laughs> Mr. Reality wasn't it? like you know what I'm saying yeah. so I'm like you know what though I see these guys on TV doing the high-end houses the million dollar listers and all of that I'm like you know what I, I could dig that I could get fly and you know what I mean do a <laughs> million dollar list of multi-million dollar houses. So what I did was I Googled richest towns in New Jersey. Simple. I said, I want to sell high-end houses. I want to be a luxury real estate agent. So where the fuck the luxury real estate properties at? Right. So I Googled richest towns in New Jersey. Alpine, New Jersey came up. I went and took nine interviews in two days in Alpine. And then as I'm up in Alpine, seeing all these multi-million dollar houses, I see all these blue signs in front of these, the biggest houses. And I couldn't even pronounce Sotheby's. I didn't know what the fuck that shit was. It was like, I didn't know how to pronounce it. But I'm like, all right, this, they winning. Like, this other bees, this blue sign with mm. this S-O-T-H-E-B-Y, whatever, how you ever say that? Yeah. They winning. Right now. And so um, I rolled past the Sotheby's branch office in Alpine, and then I walked into the office. And um, after meeting with a Weikert and Caldwell Banker and a few other agents, uh, uh, branches up there, and the, the manager of the office, she just fell in love with me. Her name was Mary. She just fell in love with me. It was like, oh, my God, you're so handsome. You're so this, that, dirt. I told her my story. I told her everything. The felonies, where I come from, the whole thing. Yeah. And she was just like, that's so awesome. <laughs> like, I'm so happy you turned it around. Right, like, we, we love you. Like, you know what I mean? And so she, uh, she talked to the CEO of the company. And uh, we had a meeting with them. And I went to their you know, other branch. And. Um, bro, they, they, they hired me. <laughs> so was there a specific listing that changed the game for you from, from that being at that position? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was so much a specific listing. What, what changed the game for me was uh, Sotheby's had great branding. And can, you, great, can you explain what Sotheby's is? Because okay. I'm going to ask you a question about them, but a lot of people might not know who that actually is. Yeah, so Sotheby's International Realty, uh, well, Sotheby's as a company, they uh, function in luxury assets period so they're mainly an art and art, art yeah, world art. right mm -hmm. the, the, the art diamonds and high-end real estate so Sotheby's throughout the world is known really for their art auctions for their, their diamonds and jewelry and for their high-end luxury real estate and so um that was attractive to me and so anyway being at uh Sotheby's I learned so much about a different level of business infrastructure and a different level of branding and marketing, right? And that's what really changed the game for me. Why my brand so like dope now? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like I really saw how they package things and, and, and really, you know, high level. And and the the owner's son, and I don't really per se big actually I don't really have a grudge with Sotheby's. They asked me to resign and I'll get to that story later, but it actually propelled my whole career. So I actually appreciate the blessing. Um they asked me to resign because of my vocalness about being a spokesperson in the black community and it didn't match their brand but um nevertheless the owner's son michael opler he challenged me as i was new in the business and said okay listen you were mr real estate in central jersey you know it's cool you were the guy in urban america but up here <laughs> that shit don't fly <laughs> and he was like you know why would someone trust you with their multi-million dollar house what's different from you than all these other agents who live here who come from here who don't look like you you know what's your why why do you want to be here and why do you want to do real estate and he sent me a video from some guy on YouTube and some, some, some small crowd, and the video was like, find your why or whatever, and I, and I watched it. And it really touched me and it made me think about, so they, they challenged me to, to bring them a business plan of my why and what I was gonna do different at Sotheby's if they were to you know, get behind me. And so I said my why, why I'm excited about real estate is because the way real estate changed my life. And I want to bridge the gap between real estate and pop culture, meaning our culture, right, pop right. culture. Right, and so I made this business plan deck. I still have it in my email. It had Jay-Z and Beyonce on the front, and it was like bridging the gap between real estate and pop culture. And I gave them my business plan of how I was gonna impact pop culture and put everybody on the real estate. It had everything from teaching to high schools, teaching in colleges, doing celebrity events, to open houses, to all these creative things that I literally do now today. Yeah. But um, that was my why, and so I had the opportunity um, through one of my friends at the time who's, who was uh, promoting me and, and, and supporting me, she was just Googling and researching online um, different networks that had uh, opportunities for realtors. And NBC was looking for a realtor for their show, Open House NYC. And I happened to have a client at the time, Muhammad Wilkerson, shout out to Mo, um, and uh, they were doing their Super Bowl edition. So when we hit them, we said, listen, I got an NFL client you know, former Jets, player. yeah, former Jets player. Yeah. yeah, I have an NFL client, and they were like, "Oh, perfect! Can we bring him on for NBC?" So I hit him up. He's like, "Yeah." So I went and showed him two high-end properties on NBC, 
And then NBC hit me back like, hey, this is the highest ratings that we had all year. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? We loved you on the show. You're so natural. Can you do any more? I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> so then I started taking other clients, Angela Yee, Bobby Yan, uh, uh, the twins from the 4040 Club. Um, those are my bros. I forgot their name, my bad. But anyway, mm. I was taking different people I knew in my network on NBC, right? And so I brought that value to Sotheby's as well. So now I'm on NBC representing Sotheby's in front of two to three million viewers every week, right? As, mm -hmm. I, was, as I was featuring and obviously lifting my brand at the same time. Um, but during that time, I didn't lose track of my why. My why was a bridge the gap between real estate and pop culture. So right. I also was teaching or going to inner city schools and I started a program called Hip Hop to Homeowners where I was teaching inner city kids about real estate, mortgages, credit, and all that. And I did it through a, a so I, I was thinking like, okay, if I want to bridge the gap between real estate and pop culture, it's cool to teach us O-heads, but what about the youth who could have got this game earlier right. and been way ahead of the game than us? Yeah. So I was like, well, if I was 17, how the hell would I want to learn real estate? I wouldn't want somebody coming in and giving me some boring lectures talking about real estate. So I was like, you know what? Let's bring some music in, let's get some giveaways, right? And so I put together a program like in one week on my iPad and my crib just put together a little keynote, my first little keynote I ever made on my iPad presentation. And I just, um, that was in January. And then February, I, or actually, actually January, I started calling, cold calling schools saying, hey, listen, I'm a celebrity realtor. I want to teach this game to kids in your school. I went to Carteret High School in New Jersey, Malcolm X Shabazz in Newark, uh, Central High School in Newark, where the Honorable Mayor Roz Baraka of Newark, he once was a principal there. He was one of, um, a principal when I did his school. And just 30, I did 30 schools in one year where I was teaching using DJ Little Man and other DJs, Rockaware sponsored it, giving us giveaways, and I was just teaching kids about financial literacy and real estate and this creative ass assembly, and it was really getting it though. Yeah. Like 450 kids, 600 kids, 800 kids, inner city kids who are learning a definition of credit, who are learning mortgage, right, and all, you know, all that. And so all that again just wound up into my why and, and what I did uniquely at Sotheby's was that, um, so you asked me about a listing, and yeah. it wasn't a listing that set me off. Now I did, um, bring in a high-end listing, I beat this guy down and brought in a $10 million listing and had you know other real estate activity going on. But my focus, I realized, wasn't the real estate. And Sotheby's realized that too. Like, hey, you know what, you're not really focusing on real estate, but I was focusing on the why you told me to find. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? My why wasn't to list high-end houses. Impact the culture. My, my why was to impact the culture. And, and so Sotheby's and I had a brand clash, and when I dropped my wake-up video on Worldstar, yeah. um, telling the community to wake the fuck up and get our stuff together, uh, that's when, you know, after a few conversations, the CEO was like, yo, you know, I saw a nine minute video of you being a spokesman for the black community. And although you're comfortable with that, I am not. I'm going to ask you, ask you to resign. And I was like, all right, cool. At that time, Caldwell Banker had asked me to be a brand ambassador for them for North America. They want to be their brand ambassador for North America for Caldwell Banker. So we had those conversations. I went over to Caldwell Banker. That didn't work out. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm done with this realtor thing. Uh, I think it's time for me to really pursue what I really want to do. And I also realized um, while showing a lot of NFL guys, and NBA guys, houses and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, wait, bro, I just showed you 13 houses. I'm a great consultant. I asked you every question first. So I knew exactly what you wanted. Mm -hmm. I gave you everything you wanted. You brought your girl, she liked it. Then you had to follow your, your mother-in-law in and then she didn't <laughs> like it. You had to go back to the drawing board, another yeah. one. So I'm like, wait, I just spent like three days of my life showing you houses in hopes to get a commission. All for you to say, you know what, bro? I'm gonna wait till after the season. I'm good. I was like, you know what? This is not the best opportunity cost of my time. Yeah. I was like, I know how to invest. I know how to get real estate money. Why would I spend time showing you 40 houses to hopefully get a commission when I can take that same time to go get a fix and flip a development a lot myself and go make even more money? And so it just dawned on me that what I wanted to do, I was going about it backwards. It was a great entry going in as a realtor, but it's not, I didn't want to be a celebrity realtor. I mean, that's how I came and built part of my brand, but it was like, no, I mean, I'm a developer, I'm a hustler, I'm, I'm a builder, I'm a, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not just that. And so um, I segued then into uh, focusing back on my real estate investment company. I then launched the Jay Morrison Academy in January of uh, 2014 and got into full-blown education, um, put root, our curriculum together and all that other kind of stuff. So things. the root of the, the, the Jay uh, Morrison Academy, that was based off the programs you were doing in, in the city schools of Newark, uh, uh, New Jersey? Yeah, so that was like, so actually the root of Jay Morrison Academy was the World Star video. I got so many, that, that World Star video did like a quarter million views the first day. That's the wake up. The wake up, yeah, been back in the Maybach. And I got so many emails of people like, yo, bro, how can I get mentored by you? Bro, I stopped gangbanging because of you. Bro, that shit makes sense, bro, right? And so I'm like, damn, I can't mentor all these people. 
And so I was like, yo, how do I, I know the game though. Like, bro, I literally transitioned out of the street from, from, the, from the mud. Like, bro, I had no yeah. corporate etiquette, no professional etiquette. Like, I didn't know how to send an email. In 2005, when I got in real estate, they like, sent an email. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. how you do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, so, I mean, I've built this, I've built myself up from the, from, the, from the ground. And so, I knew I could give back and impact people, but I didn't know what vehicle to do that. And one-on-one, I mean, I only got so much capacity. Yeah. And so that's when I was like, okay, I didn't know what's called the curriculum back then, but I was like, okay, I'm gonna put together, like, I'm gonna I'm I'm automate like what I know. So I'm gonna I'm I'm teach what I know, I'm gonna record it, I'm gonna do mentorship calls every week so people don't just don't watch videos like YouTube, but you actually can call me every week and get mentorship. So I opened up a group mentorship line, I put together a curriculum, got with some developers, put together our school website. That I thought of the idea in November 2013, we did a soft launch December 2013, we launched our school January 8th of 2014, and since then, had over 80,000 students are now Inc. 500 top 10 educational companies in the country. Wow, for sure. That's in real fun. life. <laughs> All right, so now we got the backstory. So in the next segment, we're going to go into some, some gyms and um, get some education on, on real estate because sure um, that's, that's what we're here that's for. That's what I do. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to talk about some, um, some key terms because we had, we had a couple real estate episodes, but each real estate episode is different. Mm-hmm. And um, I, had, I jotted down some stuff that A, I got from your page, mm-hmm. and B, that we haven't covered yet. So I think it'll be good information. So first thing I want to talk about is um, a HELOC, right? Okay. And I saw on your page you had something about refi versus HELOC. So we talked about the refi, but can you explain the HELOC? We haven't covered HELOCs yet. Can you explain? HELOC? Well, yeah. What does the HELOC even stand for? All right. So HELOC is home equity line of credit. Uh, and it's a way to tap into your equity without restarting your mortgage again. So like with the refinance, you're getting a whole new loan, whole new mortgage. So you could have paid your house down for the last 17 years and you get a refinance, you back to zero on a 30 year mortgage Mm -hmm. um, to tap into your equity. With the HELOC, you can tap into your equity, keeping your existing mortgage, but now you put a second mortgage or, or, or a mortgage piggybacking that mortgage right behind it and you can tap into your equity that way through a second mortgage, not resetting your first mortgage and with a HELOC, it's a home equity line of credit. So it's not a new loan, but it's a line you can tap into. So with the refinance, you got to start paying on that capital the day you refinance, yeah. right? That whole new loan. With a HELOC, it just says, hey, I got access to the 70 grand and I only pay on whatever I use of that 70 grand. So if I find a property in Detroit that I can go acquire for 11,000 and then put 20,000 into and flip, I'm only going to pay on 21,000 I borrowed from the HELOC. As opposed to if I refinance and pull seventy thousand out, I'm paying interest on that whole seventy. Uh, with a HELOC, you're only paying interest on the amount you use. Is it a separate statement? Like so when you get your is yes, it, it's a completely yes. separate statement. It's a whole separate loan. Statement. It is okay. a second loan to your existing loan. But does it still go off for the equity? All right, so the refi is like you have a $200,000 house and it goes up to 400000 Now you have $200,000 of equity. You can refi from that, right? Is the HELOC still based off of that equity? Or? Well, let's, well let's, let's correct that. This is a big um, misunderstanding that we teach in the Jay Morrison Academy okay. um, for our students. Many times we think that, okay, I got a house that's 200000 mm-hmm. right, that I owe, and it's worth 400000 right? Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. like, yo, bro, I got 200000 equity. What can I do? You got $200,000 of equity, but you don't have $200,000 equity that you can use, right? So the banks have something called a loan to value, what we call LTV, right? So you hear the term LTV, it means loan to value. And so the banks may say, we'll lend you 80% LTV or 80% loan to value. So if the value of your home is $400,000, the bank's saying we'll give you 80% of that $400,000, which is $360,000. So if you owe two hundred. dollars and the bank's only going to loan you 80% of your value, which it's, is 360. It's minus that. That means you really got 160, 160, out of 160. in equity you can use, right? right? Okay. So yeah. you don't get the, the full 200, okay. right? Okay. Same thing with a HELOC, though. The bank says, hey, we're going to give you an 80% LTV on your HELOC. Then that means you get 80% of that 400, 360. But now we're not going to reset your mortgage. You still owe the same 200, but we'll give you a credit line for the 160 and you only pay on what you use of that 160 whenever you use it. You could pay it back down, use it again, pay it back down, use it again, and you only pay on what you use, but it's only based on the LTV of the house. You do not get the full value of your equity unless a bank is giving you 100% LTV. So, all right, each person's situation is different, um, but is one better than the other, in your opinion, or? There's, in a blanket statement, I would say the HELOC is more preferred in a blanket statement. I don't really like blanket statements because I believe, like what you just yeah, said, yeah, yeah. every scenario is different, which right. is why I believe in being an informed investor. 
if you know how a refi works in the pros and cons, and you know how a HELOC works in the pros and cons, based on your specific scenario and situation, you can choose what makes more sense. Right, right, right. For instance, you may only have been in your house for a year and a half, and now you can get a refinance at a 5.5% rate of your equity at an 85 LTV. You go to the bank and you want a HELOC, they may say we're only giving you an 80% LTV, which is less equity you tap into, mm -hmm. and we're gonna charge you a 7.5% rate. Being that you've only been in your property for a year and a half, you might wanna take the refinance, which is cheaper interest mm -hmm. and more equity you can tap into, and you're only restarting your mortgage by one year. Right, right, right. So, so depending on your scenario, when you're informed, you can make strategic decisions. Is it based, so typically are the interest rate a little higher on a HELOC, or does it depend on the scenario? Yeah, most times you'll find that a HELOC is higher because it's a second mortgage. Okay. So what that means when we have a second mortgage is that if you were to foreclose or default on your loan, the first mortgage gets paid first. Mm. The second mortgage only gets the leftovers. Mm. So as a second mortgage lender, you take more risk having a second mm. because you may not get paid if things go bad. Mm. So if I'm a lender, which I am a private lender, if I'm a lender, and you want a second mortgage from me, I'm not gonna give you the same rate as your first mortgage. I'm taking more risk. Right. So a HELOC can be, and typically may be more expensive than your first mortgage refi or, or traditional loan. So you're a private lender, you say? I sure am. Hard, hard money loans? Hard money, soft money, creative financing, joint ventures, mezzanine financing, gap financing, constructing funding, all that. And that's through which, which commercial? Was that? Which, that's the Tulsa fund? That's the Tulsa real estate fund. We are a, we are a private lender and we are a uh, development company. We are a full blown investment company. All right. So we'll talk about that in the sec segment for sure. So uh, what about cost segregation? What, what's that? All right. So cost segregation is a um, tax strategy or, or tax um, vehicle you can use when uh, as a full time investor, real estate investor, you can Basically, cost segregate means you can deduct the personal tangible property of an asset. So right now, we're in this building, right? Mm -hmm. The owners of this building can deduct anything in this building they can take off with a screwdriver and a hammer from their earned income. So if the owners of this building were wealthy and they made, you know, they're making $10 million a year, but they own this whole asset and it's all these doors in here, every single door, every knob, every stairwell, every HVAC, every everything, every cabinet that they can take uh, take off with a screwdriver and a hammer, they can take the value of that and deduct it from their earned income. Therefore, reporting less earned income, therefore paying less tax taxes and mitigating or minimizing their tax exposure. Um, how about the acronym IRR? Okay, IRR is Internal Rate of Return. Uh, IRR is basically an ROI, but calculating the importance and significance of time in an ROI. So if, for instance, um, we invested in something today mm -hmm. and we flipped it this year and made 33%, that's 30, or let's use an even number, we made 30%, right, mm -hmm. in one year. So ROI is annualized, right? So right. we made 30% in one year. Let's say we made 15,000 in six months. 15,000 in six months, is equivalent to an IRR of 30,000 in one year. It's saying if I were to do this again yeah. for the same six months, right, it would be 30,000. Yeah, it's duplicated. Right, so now if you have 30,000 in one year as an ROI, but now let's say you made the same money, but it took you two years to make the same money. So now your IRR over two years would be 15%, right? Because now you're looking at, I made 30% on one year, but now if I break it up over two years, Right, the ROI on it, considering time, is now fifteen yeah. percent. Now, if it's three years, it's broken up, and now you made seven. maybe ten percent or whatever that yeah, number may be, right? Yeah, and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's formulas you can use on your calculator. I don't try to do the math, you know, myself in my head. But mm -hmm. what IRR does is it calculates your return on investment, considering the opportunity cost of your capital over time. Gotcha. So, all right. The next one and is guess for, what? I never went to college. <laughs> the next one is for our producer for Mike. He's not here, but he always. We talked about 203K loans a lot. He still doesn't understand what a 203K loan is. I tried to explain it to him, but maybe you could do a better job. Can <laughs> <laughs> hey, you explain what a 203K loan is? Sure. So a 203K loan um, is a renovation loan. It's a it's an FHA-backed renovation loan, which allows you to typically put between 3 and 3.5% 3 .5 down on a property. But the most important part is that they will cover the construction cost 
or the building costs or build out costs of your assets. So it means you're getting the acquisition money, the purchase money, and you're getting the renovation or fixed money, the, you know, the, the, the construction money, you're getting all that from your lender mm -hmm. and you're still using one down payment. You'll get the money in, 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 in what's called draws or installments. They wanna make sure you're not just blowing it and you're doing the right construction, but uh, FHA or your banks will cover uh, up to 96.5% or whatever their guidelines are of your acquisition and the full rehab under a 203k loan. So you get to buy the property, one to four units, even one to four units with a store attached. You can buy the asset and fix it up all within one loan for as little as three and a half or three percent down. And you have to live at that property. It must be oh, an owner. Year, it must be year. an owner-occupied property, owner-occupied residence. So when you're looking at a property, right? You talk about ROI. People hear about ROI a lot. Like, mm -hmm. what does that mean? It means everything. ROI is 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 the root of money is a root of investing think about it like if you're an investor or entrepreneur a business owner a real estate entrepreneur you're doing it to re to receive the little definition of an entrepreneur or, or a real estate investor the definition is someone who who uh invests capital and hopes to seek a profit right so roi really it gives you the measurement tool to compare apples to apples on your profits so let me make it even simpler if you have ten thousand dollars right or 100,000 or a million or 10 million. Either way, that money has an opportunity cost. You could put that money in a bunch of different places. You can invest in a t-shirt line, you could invest in a podcast, you could invest in a real estate, you could invest in a Uber, whatever you wanna do. So your return on that investment is gonna allow you to see what's the best use of my money or the best use of the opportunity cost of my money, right? So your ROI helps dictate that. So you can look at your, your capital, and a checking account. So let's leave your $10,000 in a checking account. Mm -hmm. You're going to get 0.001%. So you're going to get like a dollar on your, your, your $10,000, right? You put that money in a 401k or, or, or a CD, you might get 3% on your money or $300 on, on $10,000. So then you look at other instruments where you can invest your money and the ROI is going to tell you your $10,000 or your capital parked here makes you this rate of return versus any other place of rate of return. So the ROI really, or your return on investment, is just an indicator based on how much you invested, how much profit you made, what that rate is of return on those profits in that investment. So like, how do you like evaluate that for a real estate property, right? Because it's easy, because I'm a financial advisor, right? So I'm a little biased about stocks, but it's a different conversation. But it's easy to look at- And I'm biased about real estate. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to look at a rate of return for an investment because you can see what it did for the last five, three, 10, since its inception, right? Real estate's a little bit more, it's a little tricky. So how can you I look- I think real estate's a little more easy. All right, fair enough. But <laughs> so, so, so how, do you, how, do you, how do you look at that and evaluate that from a home to say, okay, this is this, this rate of return I, I expect to get 15% in the next three years. Like you do that based off of comps in the neighborhood, you do that based off of, yeah, how do you do that? Well, it depends if you're purchasing as a owner-occupied home buyer, right? I don't necessarily look at my ROI from a perspective of as, as a home buyer, right? I look at, I still look at the opportunity cost of money. I say, okay, if I gotta put three and a half percent or three percent down on this home, or even 20% down on this home, right? So it's still the opportunity cost of my money. So say I wanna buy a $300,000 home, and the bank says, okay, you gotta put 10% down. So I'm not gonna put 30,000 down to buy this home, mm -hmm. right? Or it could be 3% down, I gotta put nine grand down to buy this home. So now I'm looking at, well, what else would I do with my nine grand, or what else would I do with my 30 grand? So from a, from a home perspective, I know that by me owning this property, and it could be a duplex or a multifamily where I can live for free and rent the other units out, but even if I'm not renting the other units out and living for free, by living in a single family or townhouse or condo, I'm gonna live somewhere anyway. I'm gonna be paying rent to somebody somewhere to have a roof over my head. So if I can be paying myself and paying the mortgage with this 10,000 down or this 30,000 down, or 9,000 down, 30,000 down, but then I get the future appreciation and equity from the home, and then I'm getting the tax advantages from owning the home, from the interest on the mortgage, the depreciation of the building, the closing costs on the asset. And then I got the power and control of the asset, right? Again, not to mention for the multifamily, I'm getting cash flow. I consider all those advantages as to, well, what else would I have done with that $10,000? So if that $10,000 just say in the stock market would have gave me 7%, then I know I'm making $700 a year on that $10,000, plus compounding interest, of course. Mm -hmm. but essentially to say $700,000 a year on my 10,000. Mm -hmm. That same 10,000 could have been in my house, gaining me appreciation and equity over the years. So now let's say 
in a 10-year period. So you put money in a stock at a 10-year period and you got 700 a year or say 7,000. Let's say with compounding interest, you now got 10,000. So you put 10,000 in a stock and in 10 years, you got $10,000 ROI on, 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 that, on that asset. Mm -hmm. Now you put 10,000 down on your residential property and over that same 10 years, your asset went up in value $70,000, $50,000, right? Just by living there and doing something you were going to do anyway. So therefore, to me, just from a homeowner perspective, it makes better sense. Plus the tax advantages you receive during that time, because you could depreciate 27.5% of the asset over, uh, over the years, plus the other benefits I, I gave you. So I look at that, and that's just a homeowner perspective, which is not even the best example. From an investor perspective, I'm looking at the future market value or the comps or the ARV if it's a fix and flip, or I'm looking at the cap rate, which is the, basically the ROI of the rental income from the unit mm -hmm. and those tax advantages at the same time. So for an investor, you got the benefits of cash flow, which is rental income, passive income, mailbox money. You got the uh, benefits of appreciation and equity as a, you just live there or rent it out and it probably goes up in value over time. You got, the, uh, you got the opportunities for all the tax benefits. And as an investor, you get more tax benefits than you do as a homeowner. Yeah. So you could, you could appreciate not only the interest on the mortgage, the maintenance on the property, the cost segregation on the property, and all these things. So now you're getting a bigger bang for your buck as an investor because you have so many uh, financial benefits from owning that asset. And that's not to mention if you get into the space of 75 units or more, 20 units or more in a multifamily apartments. Now you got more cost segregation, more doors, more rental income, more cash flow, more tax depreciation, all for the same investment you would have put somewhere else. Another thing that we've spoken about and people still are not quite clear on, and, and now that we're in Atlanta, I remember the first time hearing about Opportunity Zones, I saw T.I. talking about them. Yeah. And uh, shout out to Tip. Shout out to King Tip. And, um, so we, we started researching it and get a better information on it. C can you explain that to the audience, like how that works and how capital gains tax plays a part in it? Yeah, sure. Um, opportunity Zones is uh, really the biggest transfer of family wealth um, that will happen in our lifetime. It happened since the Great Depression. Uh, opportunity Zones is literally set up to use the urban community as a decoy to allow wealthy folks to roll their money over to the next generation. So what happens in Opportunity Zones is there's over 8,000 Opportunity Zone tracks all throughout the country. Um, these are mostly urban areas, some rural areas, blighted areas that they say need investment dollars. And so what they're allowing the wealthy to do and those who have capital gains, either from their businesses, from their stock portfolios, yeah. or from their real estate assets, as people realize capital gains or liquidate their portfolios to receive capital gains, they can roll their capital gains over, right? The capital gains which will be taxable income. They would have to pay like a 30% or whatever percent tax rate on the capital gains. So that the government is allowing them through this legislation to roll their capital gains over into an opportunity zone through an opportunity zone fund into a qualified opportunity zone track. And if they invest that money there, they will get a 10% discount or tax coupon on that capital gain. So if my capital gains is 100,000 and I roll it all over to opportunity zone, that means now my capital gains a taxable income is 90,000 if for the first five years. Mm -hmm. Then if they keep it there for an additional two years or seven years total, they get another 5% tax coupon. So now my taxable income is 85,000. So now instead of paying Uncle Sam 30 grand on my 100,000, mm -hmm. I'm now paying Uncle Sam 30% on my 85,000 or like 24 grand, right. right, on my taxable income. Then the other benefit is, if I leave that capital gains investment into that asset for 10 years or more, any future capital gains or profits made from that asset, I can completely defer all the taxable income on that asset moving forward. So I can roll over my capital gains, get a discount on my original investment of 15% after seven years, and then any future capital gains from the asset that I, I put into the opportunity zone. So I can take my capital gains, go into the hood, build a whole new strip mall, whole new skyscraper, whole new hotel, whole new something that don't even help this community at all, mm -hmm. and gentrify it, and then be able to roll all the profits of that asset over in 10 years, sell it off to the market at a higher cap rate or a lower cap rate, more profit, and be able to take all that money out totally tax-free. That's what Opportunity Zones is. And in order to invest in the Opportunity Zone, you have to be an Opportunity Zone fund, right? Correct? Yes. It's, I believe it's an 89, 9, 89 96 T form through the IRS to be Opportunity Zone fund. One of the toughest parts is that a lot of us, especially in our communities, we don't have capital gains. We don't even know what capital gains are. <laughs> no all. capital gains. I'm about <laughs> so to say. Like, no, but it's, <laughs> but it's for us. Right. But it's for us, though. Yeah, it's for us. We like let they don't know. Let alone have. Most people I, don't I, know. I think else. it would have been more advantageous to have a a uh, financial or tax designation that actually service the people that are in that community and the kind of money they receive and help the working class roll their capital over into those kind of funds and receive those benefits. Right. So, all right. 
Corporate veil. What what is that? Y'all want everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. <That's> bro. <laughs> like, bro. <laughs> corporate veil is your your um your LLC or or your, your corporate structure. It's the way you protect yourself and your assets. Um it's the way in which you protect yourself from uh and really, it's, it's, it's asset protection, long story short. It's the way you set up your entities in a, in a way that you have the best tax advantages from your entities, the best liability protection from your entity, in entities, and it's just a way that, you know, a sophisticated investor or entrepreneur should be setting up their company. All right. Well, you passed the test with flying colors. <laughs> it was, it, we didn't give them free uh, notice, though, about what the questions we yeah, asked. Yeah. But, uh, when you yeah. know, you know. <laughs> In real life. Passed the test with flying colors. So in the next segment, we're going to go into the Tulsa Real Estate Fund. We're going to explain that in detail and, and talk about everything else that you have. You have historic Tulsa right Real Estate Fund, let's yeah. be clear. Facts. So you have the real estate crowdfund, right? So. Yeah. It's a little different. It's a different way to invest in real estate as opposed to just a, a person just doing it on their own, right? So, what is a real estate crowdfund like? What, what is, what's the details of that? <laughs> well, our particular fund, uh, the opportunity is for non-accredited investors, meaning those who have a net worth less than a million dollars or make less than a quarter million a year, uh, for non-accredited investors or accredited investors and institutions, family offices, and, and all kinds of capital partners can all invest in one vehicle our non-accredited investors and just all investors, our minimum investment is $500, and you will be an equity owner in our company and own shares of our entire portfolio, which currently consists of an Opportunity Zone property uh, in East Point, Georgia, five minutes from the airport, called mm -hmm. the Legacy Center, 2.6-acre campus, over 30,000 square feet, which would be a co-working space, um, a financial empowerment center and training center, um, entrepreneur training center as well as 98-unit apartment complex in Macon, Georgia, as well as 28 units of student housing we're developing here. Mm -hmm. And um, at the AUC, uh, where the historically black colleges are, Clark, Spelman, and Morehouse, as well as other 14 units, seven units, and multiple other investments that we've either funded or partake in as, as investors and developers through the fund. So for a $500 minimum investment, you get your prorated share of equity in our company. You get an 8% preferred return that's annual, um, and that's accumulating annually. Uh, and you get your share of 50% of the profits that our fund, um, you know, projects to bring in over the course of our portfolio and our performance. Now, the the pre uh, President Obama had a the is it the project rebuild fund? He's the, he's the man. Uh, was was the idea for the Tulsa fund uh, was it birthed at that point, or was it something that you had envisioned prior to it? Yeah, back in my early mortgage days in like 2007, 8, 9, um, I would flick through the MLS and different you know, listing systems, and I would see hotels and hospitals, and I would think about, I always had this vision to bridge the gap between real estate and pop culture. Like I always wanted to put the whole community on. Like Once I got on, I wanted to put the whole hood on, you know, in real estate. And so when I would see these large assets, I would always think like, yo, what if we could bust these down? What if we can chip in and go in on these assets? And there was no vehicle to do that at that time. And so uh, after the Freddie Gray uprising in Baltimore in 2015, um, I was at a panel that BET bust up a busloads of Bloods and Crips from Ground Zero, where the CVS was burned down in Baltimore after the Freddie Gray uprising. And they, um, I was part of that panel with Tamika Mallory, Mark Lamont Hill, and others. And they were asking, like, what's the solutions for our community? And one of the uh, Bloods or Crips or B Baltimore you know, crowd members yelled from the stands, we need to build a black Wall Street, yo. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, if you think the community needs a black Wall Street or economic, you know, kind of, um, stronghold, I raised my hand and was like, okay, that's on my watch. Whoever want to build a Black Wall Street, meet me after. This is 2015. Mm -hmm. And so um, I built with them. I went down to Baltimore, got on the ground, talking to them, seeing what the problems are in the community. And I thought about it like, well, what does a Black Wall Street look like? And for those not familiar, Black Wall Street was, uh, there's many Black Wall Streets throughout America. One of the most notable was a Black Wall Street of, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, called Greenwood. Um, where it was 36 square blocks of over 2,000 homes and businesses that were burned down, or were built up in less than 20 years, and burned down um, uh, in 1921, in one day, on June 1st. And so I was like, well, we're gonna build a sustaining community or be able to impact our communities. It's cool to hashtag Black Wall Street and group economics and say it, but what does it look like in real life, right? Plan, yeah. yeah, how do you actually Bring it to fruition. Yeah. What's the economic vehicle that allows us to pull our dollars together to build a Black Wall Street? 
And so that's when I started the research then. And through that research, we then uncovered the Jobs Act, which was just then passed. Mm -hmm. And I thought back to my old mortgage days about what I knew about financing and lending and investing and all those things. And so anyway, we went through the research in over four years of due diligence and research and development. Um, we put ourselves in position to IPO on June 1st, the anniversary of the Black Wall Street bombing. On June 1st, 2018, we IPO'd this fund um, to the tune of, you know, over, I think, a million or, or nearly, nearly $2 million raised our first 24 hours. Our website crashed three times the first day. I was so pissed. <laughs> but, um, you know, so many hits on our website and so much just national attention. And we've raised, you know, uh, several million dollars uh, to date and have built a multi-million dollar portfolio just with the first round of our fund in our first year as the you know, historic Tulsa real estate fund, the first black owned real estate crowd fund in history. So how does that work as far as, um, because we talked about the tech fund and he had, you have to like wait a couple years. So each, I guess, company is different. Like for your company, it's like you have to wait one year before you can um, start to receive money from it. So you, one, one year lock up until you're eligible to receive your quarterly dividends, okay. but we cannot pay dividends until the fund is profitable. profitable. Mm -hmm. okay. So if we're developing assets that take two and three years to develop, then you obviously have to wait for the development of those assets, the stabilization of those assets, the rents, the you know, equity, the refi, all that to become profitable. So, so it's a long-term play. It's yeah. a long-term play, it's a legacy fund, right. Right. right? And so that's what we are really campaigning for, getting everyone to understand. If you wanna fix and flip a home and make quick money or wholesale real estate with no cash or credit, cool, come to Jay Morrison Academy, we'll teach you that. Mm -hmm. You can do that in your everyday life. Right. But if you wanna chip in as a collective, something that fits within your budget, where we all can chip in to empower our own communities and fund our own projects and fund our own deals without going to anyone else for help, going to anyone else's table, that's what this is. So, so that's the, the, the whole period, it, it varies based on the asset, or how does that work? On the whole portfolio, okay. right? So like, say for instance, we're building a legacy center which takes, is about a year and a half, you know, development or whatever the case is. Okay, but we have other fix and flips we funded that are instantly giving us mortgage money, points, revenue right now. Okay. And then we might build a whatever later. So it's a balance of the whole portfolio that we have. So some assets are instantly making money, some assets are long-term investments, but overall, once the whole fund is profitable, you then get paid out, you're accumulating 8% over every year, which is preferred, meaning before we split any profits, you get your 8%, and mm -hmm. every year you were owed your 8%. And then you get your share of future profits. So now when we stabilize, the Legacy Center, our projections are we'll stabilize it in the next um, year, two years, three years tops. We stabilize the Legacy Center from our leasing model and uh, raise that value based on a market cap rate from a $3.6 million development to a $7.2 million valuation. And we either sell it and lease buyback or we uh, refinance and pull most of our capital out and pay our investors back. And, you know what I mean? And all that, we still keep the asset. So it's just like, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of complicated, but not. It just depends on your level of sophistication in real estate. Yeah. But the point is, at the end of the day, this is what I try to kind of simplify, is like, it's a long-term play for folks to be, invest capital. One, you shouldn't invest any money you can't afford to lose. You shouldn't invest, you know, in any investment. Right, right? You understand? Sure. No yeah, investment's sure. guaranteed. I'm not saying sure. it's guaranteed. Sure. Standard procedure. Right. But... It's for that discretionary income, that money that we blow, that we don't, right? So we blow hundreds on sneakers, hundreds on a vacation, hundreds on sparkles in the club, hundreds on, <laughs> right? All types of our, our loud bill, or our happy hour bill, right? We blow all this money, but what if we were to revert a lot of that capital, you know, even our, our Christmas, Valentine's Day, and birthday money, like our consumer money. Right. If we were to revert that capital, and be able to pull it together to do something awesome and impactful and historic for our community. It's that play, right? So that's, that's what everyone has to understand. It's, it's about us pulling our own capital to control our own resources in a very transparent, a very regulated, a very sophisticated way. And you know, you, you know, you know again, I invested in the fund 10,000, others matched me 10,000. Some invested 1,000, some invested 40,000, some invested 500. Mm -hmm. But it's about doing what's in your capacity, but understand that we're doing it as a socially entrepreneurial vehicle with mission involved. It's not just a real estate fund. Like that's easy to do as a real estate fund, but, but this is a fund for us to be able to control uh, our own dollars, manage our own dollars, and do it in a way where it's not 
relying on any one person to save us. I don't believe we should wait on Jay-Z or Oprah or Puffy. And it shouldn't be their obligation to have to fund the whole community. We right, all should right. chip in to yeah. fund our damn selves. That's a fact. What, so, what, what, what's the demographic of, of people that you're seeing that are investing? Is it a, like a millennial move or is there a certain age that you're seeing that is, it is very It's very diverse, man. I mean, even ethnicities. I mean, we have white investors, Asian investors, black investors, obviously many African investors in America. Um, but demographic-wise, there, there are, I would almost want to say 50-50 millennial and whatever that other generation is. Uh, that's right. that's I mean, powerful. We, we have, yeah, we have, we have a lot of working class, you know, moms, dads, people have been looking for something like this their yeah. whole life. Like, yeah. they have been in the civil rights movement. They have been, you know, born right after the civil rights movement. They was part of the Black Panther movement. They part of the 80s Reaganomics and all that. But people have been looking for a solution for our community and who are doing well or wherever they're at in their life and haven't had a vehicle or to the millennial who just wants to own a piece of an apartment building for $500. Like, imagine that. You can yeah. invest $500 and literally be a fractional owner in a 98-unit apartment complex plus commercial real estate. Yeah, that's a fact. In and real life. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so the, the Tulsa Fund has been around for a little over a year, like yeah. a little over a year now, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so you guys got off to a historic start and then, but, but you had some, some issues that you beat with the feds, right? And we, we spoke about some issues with the feds. Shout out to my brother, Chris Gotti. That's our guy <laughs> from Murder, Inc. And he told us about their issues with the feds, how they beat the feds. So the reason why I bring this up is that we have to be, um, we have to tell the, the full story. A lot of times when, when, highlight, when, when stories are told, it's like, oh, I knew it. But then it's like, if you get exonerated, that part never really gets told, yeah. right? Right, right? So right. can you talk about that a little bit as far as like the investigation? Or I don't yeah. even know what to call I don't want to call it an investigation, but whatever yeah, they- Yeah, we call yeah. it probe, investigation, subpoena, right? So we were subpoenaed by the FBI, the DOJ, um, you know, FBI and the SEC. Um, I don't have an exact reason why. Uh, my instinct is that uh, all the Negroes that thought this was a scam, mm -hmm. Why? I don't know, but they thought this was a scam or a Ponzi scheme and kicked up fussing and making YouTube pages and Facebook pages and really bashing this historic fund that's for our community. I believe, you know, that and other activity by people that are making like face, fake pages on Instagram and trying to do PayPal, Tulsa scams and all that. I think that, you know, likely put us on folks' radar. Um, obviously, I'm not the most conventional fund manager mm -hmm. uh, with, with my background as well. But however the less, we ended up on their radar, and they subpoenaed us for documents. They wanted to see over 50,000 emails. They wanted to see our financial records. They wanted to see our infrastructure, you know, all. Yeah, the they whole want, thing. They wanted yeah. to see the, you know, so we said, all right, see the, here you go. You know, here, here's the whole thing. Follow the money, right? Like we say, follow the money. And um, I won't say we beat the feds. I don't want to put it like that. Uh, but I will say that they have been uh, gracious and I believe fair with us, uh, you know, in doing their job. And after reviewing our emails and reviewing our financial records, they ceased their investigation. Um, you know, they reserved the right to investigate at any time, but um, they did cease their investigation. Um, so they, they, which, th they thoroughly looked into it and they didn't find anything nothing. that was. I'm just saying. I'm just saying they had 50,000 emails. They had our financial records, our audits, our bank statements, our bank accounts, our whole everything, and they cease their investigation. No, it's important, right. it's important for people yeah. to understand. No, that's yeah, good yeah, to yeah. Absolutely. So sure. People should I, know that. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just not, you know, I don't want no beef with them. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> listen, listen, no, I'm we, not. We, we ain't going to yeah, spike not, the football. We're, 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 yeah, no, we're not spiking we're not the football. Listen. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> Shai said this the other day. Don't worry, nobody's listening. Right, right, No, no, but we're just saying that there, I mean, one can rationally think that if there was, something super egregious or, you know, any major infractions that, that you know, um, whatever. I don't even want to speak too much. Just, I'll just say that, you know, God is good. Uh, we've operated this fund in integrity. It's my legacy on the line, bro. I'm not going to be the guy that raised money from the community that went and ran off with the bag. Like, that's not going to yeah, be my legacy. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? I worked too hard for this. Um, you know, I, I got a family that looks, looks up to me and many people around the community look up to me. Um, we're just doing our best job, man, and do something that's never was done before. Is it going to be perfect? No. I'm the trailblazer. It's pioneer. I don't have a blueprint. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but we are doing our best. We're operating with integrity, transparency. Um, you know, the whole first year of the fund, I deferred my salary. I took no, I took no personal salary, no personal compensation the whole first year, although I freaking deserve it. Mm -hmm. But, um, again, we're just trying to move right, man, and just, like, get our people to feel comfortable trusting each other because the reality is – you know, which is going to be one of our next campaigns. Um, we're going to be challenging everyone, you guys, everybody, yeah. to, to invest. Is that listen? It only takes forty thousand of us to invest a thousand dollars to raise forty million dollars. 
That's it. Iraq. Like, yeah. divert it from somewhere else. 40000 let's put up $1,000. We got $40 million. $40 million is a 20% down payment on a $200 million project. Yeah. Bro, it's just not that hard. No, that's a fact. So you know what's, what what's your vision, like, five years? Like, where do you... Where a billion dollars of assets under management. A billion black dollars in five years. And all kinds of different properties. All kinds of assets, communities, strip hotels, malls. hospitals, strip malls. International? Funding. It's not... Mind you, I don't want to be the biggest developer in the world. Okay. I want to be a great fund manager. The goal of the fund is not just to direct them. We acquire some assets where... Because we have great resources and relationships, you know, within different real estate communities. So we get good deals. Mm -hmm. But really, we want to privately lend and fund other people's deals. Like, that's really my focus is like, okay, you come with a project that you found in your community. All right, let's fund your project, mm -hmm. right? You came with a, a strip mall or you inherited some acres of land and you want to develop that. Okay, let's fund your project. So, or you got a loan from a bank and the bank's willing to give you 80%, but you don't got the 20% equity. Well, let's give you the 20% equity, right? right? So the goal of the fund is not for Jay Morrison to build a bunch of real estate. The goal of the fund is to be able to really be the rich uncle for our community, to be for, for all of us though. I'm glad you said that because I, I just, Thought about that. We talked about it earlier. You guys are funding. You're, you're giving out money now. We're well, not giving out, but you you're yeah, loaning we, money yeah, now. We, we've been what? from day one. Can you talk funding about that? Like, yeah. yeah. A, 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 a black woman out of Lake Charles, Louisiana, came to us. She got approved by a private lender that was not of our ethnicity. They approved her for a, a loan on 14 units. She got her appraisal back. The property appraised for 200 thousand more than she thought. Oh, wow. Then the lender came back and said, "Well, you know what? We're gonna need a bigger down payment." I never heard of that. A lender should feel more comfortable about loaning you money if your property appraised for more. Because, right. you know what I mean? They went and tried to get more money for a down payment so she, that she couldn't afford. They were trying to really box her out so she couldn't purchase it and probably try to go behind the door and grab it from her. Yeah. She came to me through one of my mentors, and we end up funding her whole project, the rehab, the construction, the acquisition, and all that. And now to date, she has her 14 units still with a few hundred thousand dollars of equity. So like, how, do, how do if people want to contact you about the funding like just for the funding standpoint how do they is there like both a yeah 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 funding and if you want to be a partner with us right i'm talking about not a donation it's not a kickstarter this is you be an equity owner and a partner um or to get your to submit your deal for funding or capital partnership go to tulsa t-u-l-s-a real estate fund.com Nah, Jay, man, Good thank man. you for joining us. Like yeah, I said, this is this, this, yeah, this <laughs> is something you. that we were looking forward to. Um, we're glad that we got to do this in real life. Real life, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, once again, y'all, y'all gotta stop asking now. Y'all gotta have somebody else that y'all. Yeah, y'all gotta pick a new. Stop DMing. They did it. Stop <laughs> DMing. It. Me. So, they got um, big homie. All right, so you just you just spoke about that, but okay, so everything else. Um, what is the the contact information for all of your other? Uh, businesses and everything else you have going on social media and how can the people yeah, you know, appreciate that I mean I want to challenge everyone man like you guys heard me spit game here today like I know what I know you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying like I know this stuff I know how to translate and relate this stuff um, we teach this very affordably very relatably and very accessibly in a Jay Morrison Academy again Inc 500 top 10 educational companies in the country you guys can go to Jay Morrison that's J-A-Y MorrisonAcademy.com we have a, a brand new curriculum we just created it's over 85 lessons on what we call the RBCs so like in school they teach us the ABCs mm -hmm. so we teach the RBCs real estate business and credit so we go over everything from wholesaling real estate with no cash or credit to fixing to flipping to home ownership 101 we go over corporate veil strategies we go over <laughs> branding your business marketing your business exit strategy operations how to manage and hire your team we go over credit strategies personal credit family credit business credit uh credit lines credit leverage like all that bro the whole game we bust down <laughs> It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I literally was like, okay, I gotta dump everything out of my head and put it into this curriculum. Like I'm because every year we update the curriculum. Okay. I'm like, I want to dump everything out that I have. My partner Will Roundtree, my partner Isaac Grace, we all put it together. And I mean, in that curriculum, we have the quizzes, the tests, the assessments. Um, our basic curriculum starts at $197 for the year, bro. Like all that corporate veil strategy, home ownership, flipping, holding, landlording, all that for $197 for the whole year. Like a fraction of your community college. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have another so curriculum um, where you can actually get weekly mentorship calls, you get all that plus weekly mentorship calls, career opportunities, joint venture opportunities, funding opportunities with us. And that curriculum is just 497 for the year. So like I'm really giving the community game. 
I mean, at like $16 at like $30 a month right, right. type of thing. So, you know, again, Jay Morrison Academy, you can find us for education. You want to partner with me and with us on real estate assets as a passive investor and partner, go to TulsaRealEstateFund.com. And for just everyday, you know, game, inspiration, motivation, or whatever else you think I bring to the table, I'm at Mr. J. Morrison on all platforms. So that's at Mr. J. Morrison, YouTube, Facebook fan page, Instagram, of course. Um, I'm just trying to LinkedIn. again. LinkedIn. I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> my, my team runs it. I don't run it. So you, yeah. so you befriend me. It ain't me. But um, LinkedIn as well. Uh, Tulsa Real Estate Fund has, has a YouTube as well. And Tulsa Real Estate Fund on IG. That page is popping. Uh, JMA. So I'm just really proud of the companies that I. Uh, first of all, was before the companies, I, I want to give thanks, not in a cliche way, but thanks to God just for um, really my, my, my testimony and, and stress testing me. You know, I was like, God stress test me to make sure I was ready for what he had for me, who he, who he wanted me to be. So I thank God for his grace. And um, shout out to my wife as well for holding me down. And, um, but also though, yeah, just um, I'm proud of the companies we built, man. Like this was no easy journey. I talk, you know, I get in my bag and I talk my shit, but um, it's my way of kind of just like, uh, replenishing myself I pour out and I give so much we didn't even mention the 63 free corner classes I've done yeah, over fun. the last yeah, four fun. years Those I've taught crazy. 28 cities 63 free corner classes even a legendary 24-hour corner class here in Atlanta on Lee and Abernathy which I'll be doing another one so you know I'm putting in work but again it's all part of that initial mission I talked about bridging the gap between real estate and pop culture I don't care if I got to do it on the corner, if I got to do it online, if I got to create a fund to do it, if I got to have a school to do it. We got a real estate brokerage coming out soon and a bunch of other opportunities that we're going to be bringing to the public and to the people. And we got the Legacy Center, the Black House, the all-black building in East Point, 30,000 square feet. That's for all of us. Um, so I just you know, look forward to building with you all. Thank you guys for having me, man. Yeah, yeah appreciate sure, you coming sure. on, man. Troy, housekeeping yeah. items? Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com, uh, backslash on your leisure, our proud to pay program, um, everybody that supports that. Like we said, we have a five-tier program. You can join at any tier. Um, there's different features at each tier. Uh, we got new members again. Man. Every week, we, we get to shout out people, so shout out to them. Uh, Kino, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, and Nakia. Um, shout out to them uh, and everybody that's been supporting our Patreon, and shout out to everybody that's been purchasing the merch. Um, our assets over liability service is doing really well, and people keep supporting that. And we got new merch, like we yeah, said. Yeah. Yeah, you leave it with one. You leave it. So what happens when people come on uh, after they do the episode, they become EYL alumni. So oh, now no. you officially are part of the alumni. <laughs> uh, I, I well, graduated. With honors. With honors. He just got his doctorate in EYL University. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so shout out to everybody that's doing that. And our tour shirts are out too. So every city we go to, we bring shirts and we have shirts from the cities. Uh, so shout out to everybody that's in person. Uh, yeah. Purchasing those. For sure, for sure. And then don't forget, um, by the time you guys hear this, I think um, it'll be two days left. So it's not too late to register for our free network meeting in Chicago, 926. And we're having our first workshop um, in Brooklyn, but it's also going to be live streamed all over the world. So make sure you register that. And that's going to be 1017. And um, the book tip of this week, because we always give a book tip, is your book. Yeah. Um, yeah, The Lord of My Land. Yeah. So, yeah, Lord of My Land. Make sure you check that out. Um, and, yeah. Thank Don't just guys. be a landlord, man. Be the lord of your land. That's a fact. That's it a is. fact. So, yeah, thank you guys for rocking with In us. real life. We'll see you, <laughs> we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.